Welcome to the X Factor Roping Podcast. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and tools to get the most out of what you love to do. I'm Pace Freed, the owner of XFactorRoping.com and your host. We want to bring you the best content possible and it would mean so much to us if you would continue to sign up and support XFactorRoping.com. Thank you for listening. We're filming with uh, Ryan Motes today. We're just doing the podcast and the X Factor Team Roping Show. Ryan's a, I mean, four-time NFR qualifier. Yeah. Uh, BFI champion, just won the Lone Star Shootout. Uh, and he's probably my favorite horseman to watch. I love love his horses. Got a great horse program. So it's pretty cool to, to see what you got going on out here. Well, thank you. Uh, Ryan, to start it off, I, you know, I like to know the story, like when you started. And, uh, you know, you've got a pretty interesting background. Uh, can you kind of tell me about what it was like growing up and, and kind of for you in this industry? Yeah, um, you know, I was born in California. Uh, w my dad, obviously, is a world champion team roper, so I grew up around rodeo and roping a lot, and uh, I think that was a good start for the base of kind of my, my roping and my want to be a professional roper. Um, we grew up out there as a kid, as everybody does. You know, anytime anybody that was big-time roper came by the house, you know, we'd always want to rope the dummy with them and do everything else. And I mean, I remember as, as a kid, it was fun. We had, you know, some of the best people in the world, Denny Watkins, Mike Beers, my dad roped with them growing up. So, you know, they were like uncles to me kind of growing up. And to, to be able to grow up in that kind of a atmosphere, I guess, kind of helped my uh, hunger to want to be good. Um, you know, and so I roped just like any kid would dummy ropings and stuff like that growing up. Um, when I was 11, I guess, we moved to Texas. And uh, when we moved down here, I didn't rope much uh, very often. Obviously, as an 11-year-old kid, I don't know that you really, we just did normal things, baseball, um, you know, and things like that. We rode a little bit, and uh, we had a, uh, a mare foaling program and kind of did some stuff like that when we first moved down here. And so I didn't really rope a whole, a whole lot growing up. Um, in that age where I think a lot of kids seem like they really do. Um, I didn't rope until pretty well. I, I really didn't rope much until I was about 15. And uh, I'd obviously, we'd still rope the dummy and do stuff like that. I didn't really have a horse. Um, I'd rope with my dad when we flew, you know, when we was out seeing him and doing different things like that. But we didn't just rope day to day as, as, that, uh, as a lot of kids get to or do nowadays. Um, so I think the one thing that a lot of people think is that that age, there's a big emphasis on it, on putting too much, I think you can put too much heat on kids that age right there. Um, a lot of, I don't think they're as big and can develop the, you know, the proper swing and stuff like that. Um, when I was about 15, I bought a whole, we bought a horse and, uh, my best friend, uh, Garrett Wright had moved down here and, uh, we just went out in the pasture and kind of built us an arena out there and, uh. I mean, it was big. It was, you know, it was 380 feet by, I think it was 185 foot wide. It was just where it fit in the, in the arena or in the pasture. And uh, our return lane sucked. It was all of, it went through every little pin that came up beside the square pin and the round pin and everything else. You know, it was all the cattle holding pins and you had about 20 gates every time you want to bring the pin of steers up. But we, we played around out there and, uh, you know, we got to roping quite a little bit. I headed all through high school and stuff um, and, and I roped with Garrett mainly. And uh, when I was probably 16 years old, um, that was when Clay Logan moved down here and Clay Logan's like a brother to me. 
Um, and he's obviously one of the most renowned horse trainers there is now. Um, so when he moved down here, he was riding horses. He actually lived right across the road from us. And uh, when he was over there, he had a bunch of horses in training. And, and I mean, he, he'd come over and uh, he roped right there with us every day with Garrett and I. And he kind of, you know, was a lot of what helped me with my horsemanship. Um, helped me learn that horsemanship's equally as important as your roping, if not more important. Um, I think horsemanship's probably what makes, you know, good horsemanship makes roping easier, and that's for sure. And uh, so that was kind of, you know, growing up how we got kicked off. I headed all through, all through high school, I guess. I'd headed the whole time. I headed my freshman year in college at the rodeos and stuff, and then started uh, healing a little bit at the jackpots about then. Right. So, um, were you involved in the cutting industry a little bit also? Like, can you kind of talk about that background also? Yeah, when we moved to Texas, uh, my stepdad, Winston Hansma, is uh, uh, one of the you know, highest, you know, one of the most Hall of Fame cutting horse trainers there is, you know, and he is, uh, so, so a little of that, you know, helps a lot too. Um, we, my mom, she's raised cutters and stuff for quite a while, so a little of the you know the the cutting horsemanship and the roping horsemanship that was what sparked our move to uh, Weatherford was was the cutting horse industry and uh, when we were when we were like I said in high school we lived out there uh, north of town north of Weatherford here in the middle of nowhere and I mean we didn't go to town we didn't do anything you'd we'd get up and we'd ride horses you know we'd go to school and come out and we'd ride horses and then you know, we'd rope, and that was kind of what we did. Um, it was just a normal day. You just, you know, went like a, we were only 30 minutes from town, but it seemed like we lived a couple hours from town. And, uh, you know, we'd go to town a couple times a week or or so. Um, and that was kind of it. So, yeah, the cutting horse background a little bit is, is where uh, a lot of the good horses, you know, that we've raised of all, everything I've ever rode is something we've raised right here uh, that was bred right here on the ranch. And so a lot of that, everything we've, healed on to this date something we started in the roping pen um obviously like i said winston started a lot of them and uh clay has helped me you know with kind of the right program on how to keep them going right and uh the cutting horse deal what was some of the biggest aspects that you were you learned and that really translated well into the team roping as far as horsemanship and things like that goes you know just just like anything a, a good sound uh if you ride well, it helps you with your roping. And so a lot of just how to ride um, and how to get your horses broken, how to get them off the right cues, it, it makes just, if you can get in the right spot, catching's easy. And if you know how to make your horse or help your horse put you in the right spot, that kind of goes to it uh, with, with just getting, being able to be around people um, who have both, uh, roped well and understand how to make horses ride around, help horses ride around, get horses really broke uh, with Clay and Winston. And that's been a huge help for me to know what the proper cues are, what the proper way, way to ride my horses are to keep them working and help them working. Right. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And um, like I said, you guys have a lot of talent uh, on all the horses that you ride. I want to get into your breeding program, but one thing that I wanted to get into first, you said you started heading and headed your first year of college, right? Mm -hmm. So probably didn't heal hardly at all, really. Or when did you kind of start healing? 
You know, um, when uh, I, I healed a little bit, and obviously if you were up something outside or doing anything like that, you know, kind of understood how to catch something, but I'd never really had healed. Um, as, as I headed and went through high school and stuff, I didn't really heal very much. I healed a little bit on some young horses and stuff like that, and uh, kind of started to realize that the cutting horse program breeding size uh, you know a lot of ours are bigger than an average cutting horse but still a lot of cutting horse cowbred horses aren't head horse size right. and so with working out a program on how it looked a lot more promising to get a lot of <laughs> nice young uh, heel horses than it did nice young head horses and so we started kind of roping on, on some of the young cutting cutting reject types uh, we uh, I have a horse named Bull Duel he's still out here at the pasture but when I got him as a three-year-old, my heading number had gotten raised just enough, and it was probably my freshman year in college. Uh, Jeremy Smith had moved down here from Wyoming to go to college, and uh, Jeremy and I got to be good friends, and uh, as, as my horse was starting to get better, Jeremy and I kind of took off, and you know, that's who I roped with, filled my permit with, and stuff like that. And, and I had probably, I had a, a little bit in college, I had healed off and on jackpot, you know, just as, as kids do, I guess, here and there, but never even thought about taking healing seriously until probably my freshman year in college. And I roped with Jeremy, and at that time, uh, I guess maybe going into my sophomore year in college, I had a chance to rope with Jeremy and Jason Hughes. And Jason Hughes had the really good horse that Jay Adams made the finals on. Yeah and uh, Geronimo and so I had a chance to rope with two guys that roped really really good so my sophomore year in college I believe my horse was four and I just I mean kind of that's what we were going to do so I healed for Jeremy and Jason my sophomore year in college and uh, I guess I would have probably been about 20 and kind of took healing a little bit more started all of a sudden realizing it was kind of gonna be what we were going to do so I put it in a different, it used to be something, you know, you headed just like every header wants to do. You head and then you ever, you know, as soon as there's an open spot in the heel box, you try to beat the next guy to it just to heal one. And, and when you really start to take it serious, it's a, you know, it's a whole different, whole different beast. And so we went on, on that aspect and, and really started working on my healing. Um, and I, I had healed there at the jackpots and stuff. Uh, Jeremy and I won the Lariat Bowl that year and won 50 grand uh, in January of my year, I guess maybe my turn 20, I guess. And uh, we would jackpot it everywhere that we could. We went to everything, anything and everything. And man, we killed them at the jackpots. We had a great, great, great year jackpotting. Um, the, by, by the end of the, that year, my healing number had surpassed my heading number. And then now I was kind of in a stuck spot, you know, my both my numbers were high, so they've kind of got you to the spot where you can't jackpot a whole lot and anything else. And and so our next, you know, we bought our permits that year and kind of went that went that route. We loaded up and kind of went anywhere nobody was going to be and tried to figure out how to rodeo. We went to California and to Southern California and out to Arizona and stuff and kind of just picked and choose where we went. And it, and it went pretty good. Um, that year, my dad rode up with Mickey Gomez at the finals, and after the NFR that year, uh, I had no intentions on rodeoing or doing anything of that sort. And I had healed, you know, for a little while, but not long enough. I can tell you that now. 
um, he needed to partner starting in the first of that next year. And so I had filled my permit. So what's the next thing you do? I guess just on, on to rodeoing. Right. And uh, so I bought my card uh, in 2001 was my rookie year. And, uh, you know, started off, I was still going to college and, and really didn't know what I was going to do. I had uh, two heel horses and that was about it. Two heel horses and some head horses that you could heal on a little bit. And so we, uh, we started off decent. Uh, we placed at Denver, decent in the average. Um, and at this point in time, I could know how to catch. I didn't know how to heal still. You know, I could come around and catch steers, but I couldn't do anything to set anything up or, or anything of that sort. Um, we placed, it seemed like that winter, I went to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and it seemed like we were up somewhere every Tuesday and Thursday. So after a month and a half or something of not being at school yet, uh, we place at San Antonio in the average, and I'm like, man, this rodeo thing's easy, right. you know. So here we go. We're headed, headed rodeoing, and uh, you know, we went throughout the year, and I got to learn quite a bit. Uh, obviously, traveling with him, um, and learn a lot about you know what it takes, uh, how to enter, how to get there, how to you know make sure you know where you're supposed to be going, and things like that. Uh, we roped all year, had a chance at the end to make the finals, and, uh, and it, as it turned out, come up a little bit short. Uh, that was Matt Robertson's rookie year, too. Uh, him and Travis, obviously, they won like third or fourth in the world that year. Yeah. Um, and so he, he had beat me. I went second in the rookie of the, that year, and kind of that was from there on, that was, you know, I was a healer. Right. It was gonna, that was kind of my goal. So about that time, is that when you, I mean, it, it sounds like you were roping and, and enjoying it, but at, when did it kind of click that you wanted to start healing as, you, you know, for a living, you'd say? You know, kind of through that year, I guess, is when I realized I did. Um, I had never amateur rodeoed, had never, you know, done a lot of the, I, I kind of skipped a lot of the stages that a person needs to do the amateur rodeo. I didn't heal through, you know, we jackpot a lot in high school. Uh, I went to the high school rodeos a little bit, but that was it. We didn't really, ha you know, go to a ton of of the other association. We just went to the little, you know, the, the Texas High School Association around here, and I headed the whole time. So I didn't really, you know, up till then, I really hadn't healed very much. Until my rookie year, I'd healed a little bit at the rodeos, but not enough to, I didn't take it as serious as I needed to. Um, or is what I've learned it later it takes. Uh, after that, I'd went home and, and really worked on studying a lot of stuff. I went down to Rich's a time or two, Jeremy and I did, and uh, about that time, that's what I said, before, a little bit before my rookie year was when I decided I better figure out you know, how to make this thing work. And uh, there was a lot of things. I, I'd understood a lot of the business part of it as far as entering and stuff like that. But I still didn't understand what it took to uh, set up the run, set up the shot, set up everything else. I knew how to catch, kind of, you know, as much as a person could. But uh, I didn't know how to set up the different situations and stuff. So <clears throat> I roped with my dad again the second year. Um, we roped for three years in a row there, 2001, two, and three. And we won quite a bit. You know, our rookie year, we get rolling off out through there. and. Growing up in California, Oakdale's the biggest thing ever. You know, the Oakdale tennis chair used to be a huge, huge roping out there. And uh, I went Oakdale my rookie year. And, you know, I kind of think we had placed at Denver, done good at San Antonio. We had quite a little bit one. I'm telling you, like, 
when I won Oakdale, it was like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And then it just all of a sudden, you know, like I'm thinking, man, we've made the NFR. Well, we were so far from making the NFR that, you know, that I didn't even know what was going on. But we rode for a couple of years and, and never really, you know, that was always kind of a dream of mine, but I, I didn't know exactly what it took as far as work and what I needed to actually do. We roped, but when we were home, we rode a bunch of outside horses and, and then we went to the roping and just kind of, you know, load up our good horse and go to the rodeo. And that was kind of a, a different approach of when you all of a sudden realize that there's a whole bunch of guys better than you that work at it a lot harder, then you kind of had to regroup our right. program a little bit. And how did you think that, like, if you could restructure that or a younger self, what would you recommend to your younger self on how to structure you know, your practice? Oh man, so many different ways. You know, we we still did. We practiced for fun all through college and stuff. You know, and roping was something that was fun, and obviously we worked at it, but uh, not not near like we do even today, or you know, not even close to how we do today. And you know, just practice with a goal, practice with a purpose. Um, you know, figure out, surround yourself with people that rope better than you. You know, and we never. I, I had a little bit and I had all the opportunity, you know, growing up to, to go rope with different people and we just, you know, we'd ask questions here and there, but, you know, now it seems like there's so many people and kids growing up that get the opportunity to come rope with, you know, with pros and, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, when they first, if they turn 18, they go to school down here. Well, I had the, we, we lived here, you know, I grew up right here. So there's so many kids that, uh, that do put the effort in and kind of get around and, and you know it just helps p with finding partners and you know and stuff like that to uh, get hooked up with somebody that does rope good whether it's an internship or living there or helping or doing whatever but getting to kind of rope with the better guys I think that's kind of helps helps jump start it a little bit right. um, you know for me I roped with my dad for three years I think we finished in the top 20 or close to it all three years never made the NFR um, was kind of bummed, right. you know, and uh, went home, didn't really know what I was going to do. And I stayed home in 2004. I was 24. Um, Courtney and I were about to get married and uh, didn't really have anything, you know, and I'm kind of the spot where I needed to figure out what we were going to do. Um, we had a bunch of outside horses about that time. And uh, I'd kind of came home and decided I was going to amateur rodeo. And that was really the kind of the turning point for me where I actually figured out <clears throat> the whole time if everything set up good and I pro rodeoed and didn't and went and uh, knew how to catch this, that and the other. But when I came home, I came home, I rode with Jason Hughes and Rowdy Reekin that one summer in 2004. And, and I learned as much at home amateur rodeoing as I ever did gone, you know, I'd rodeoed for three years and I learned just as much about how to win and I'm a big fan on, I mean, if you figure out how to, it doesn't matter if you're a, you know, you take somebody that's a good cutter and you put them on a rope horse, they'll figure out a way to beat you, you know, sooner or later. And that's kind of what I did and I think had I done it back the other way, um, you know, through college and stuff, I would have rather amateur rodeoed around a lot and figured out, you know, how to hold my money together and when, when you don't have a lot of expenses and stayed around amateur rodeo to figure out how to win there and went to, you know, from there, then, you know, took the next step up. Right. And I feel like we kind of took a backwards plan at it. I kind of headed through high school and college and then healed a little bit and then all of a sudden just 
skipped a few steps right there and was competitive, but not not quite good enough. And when I came back, I amateur rodeoed and we worked a lot and rode a bunch of outside horses and kind of got everything put together. Courtney and I got married and uh, you know we stayed home and amateur rodeo. We worked. She she's a dental hygienist. She worked over here and. You know, we worked Monday through Thursday, rode horses and did whatever we could, and and uh, she worked, and then Thursday night we went somewhere, and then we came home and rode horses Friday morning, and you know, and then Friday night we went somewhere and somewhere after, and then uh, somewhere Saturday morning and somewhere Saturday night and Saturday night after and Sunday morning, and then came home and slept a couple hours and then started back over, and man, it was just it it was eye-opening to me that you know how how much it made me want to be able to rodeo and be able to do that way. We stayed home. Um, I started rodeo with Jimmy Edens in the amateur rodeo. It was probably about 2006, I guess, 2005, 2006, and we amateur rodeoed around here forever. And uh, in 2006, we just, we, we'd always go, not just to the amateur rodeos, but we'd go to the circuit rodeos. And all through being home, we made the circuit finals every year and stuff like that. And uh, Jimmy and I, you know, we would rodeo through the winter, but we'd go to the good rodeos and that was kind of it. And then we always came home and resorted back to the amateur rodeos. We would enter and uh, we'd think, man, we'd enter over the 4th and not be going anywhere the next week. And we'd clip them for a little bit over the 4th and then not be entered, you know. And that's just, it was just us being dumb and not knowing, I guess. But had I done it now, I mean, just enter everywhere. And if you want to go home, doctor's release and go home. But we'd enter and then get them for a little bit and then not be entered the next week. And then we'd go right back to scrambling around on where all we could get entered the next week and we'd enter again and uh, scramble around and then, you know, win something and then all of a sudden not entered again. And uh, I remember the week of Lovington, uh, everybody's gone rodeo and we came back, went to Lovington, Lawton. We won Lovington, won a decent bit at Lawton and all of a sudden everybody's going to the Northwest and we're headed home. You know, we're headed to uh, El Dorado to the amateur rodeo, Brownwood maybe, and something down there. And uh, we're as close as anybody. You know, I've got as good a shot as I've ever had to make the NFR, and we're headed to Texas to the amateurs. So we ended up entering around a little bit there at the end and came up a little bit short. I don't know where we finished, but we didn't make the finals. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit and decided that the next year, we buddied with Tommy and Kobe Jones, so Jimmy Edens and Tommy Edens and Kobe Jones and I decided that was kind of our goal. And uh, it started out, and we rodeoed through the winter and uh, had a pretty good, pretty decent winter. And we always kind of, you know, we amateur rodeoed, so just like still to this day, if you amateur rodeo, you can catch a few fast here and there. And uh, we'd beat them through the winter a little bit, and then we stayed home and, and always we'd stay home. We wouldn't go to every little circuit rodeo there was around here, but we stayed home all the way till June. We didn't, that year we didn't go to Tucson or Denver or anything like that. We just stayed home and, and amateur, made sure we got the amateur finals made first before we decided to go rodeoing. And uh, took off and we won Reno that year and won Weatherford and Reno and uh, kind of started our summer off with a roll. And next thing you know, we're fourth in the world and not, I mean, just, amateur kids from you know Texas down here and uh, went from there you know we, we struggled a little through the summer in different spots and uh, went back and forth you know and and kind of stayed right through there and it came down to Dallas anyhow we, we got in at Dallas that year and so that was kind of 
you know, the big goal for me was it kind of went full circle. I think I took a couple wrong turns to get there, but, you know, to finally make the finals, that was kind of the goal always since it took me until I was 27 to do it. But, right. you know, the goal always as a kid growing up. So you're 27, made your first finals. What is that like? The couple of, like, maybe the month of practice before, I mean, it seems like it's pretty intense now. So what was that like for you? Man, you know, then um, it came down to it, and and uh, Jimmy and I was 16th in the world before Dallas. And Dallas was in October, end of October, I guess. Right. And so we had a, <clears throat> so before Dallas even, I put a full month's worth of NFR practice in, and... Uh, at that time, Blake Teixeira was going to school in Stephenville. Well, he moved in up here, and I mean, we went full contact like you would do NFR, NFR practice uh, before Dallas. And so we, I mean, that was kind of, we, we're so close. I believe we were only a couple hundred dollars behind 15th. And at that point, I don't believe 15th was in at Dallas. And so we were kind of the outsiders. We went to the big rodeos, and the tour finals went off the it went back that way this year, I guess. But the bigger rodeos were how you qualified for Omaha and Dallas, right. and we went mostly to the, you know, the small rodeos and the big rodeos. It seemed like we skipped all the in-betweeners. But uh, we were in Dallas in 16th, so we put a full month's worth of practice in. Um, Blake and I did here before we'd even went to Dallas, and so I felt like, obviously, you're never ready for the NFR, but uh, I felt like we were. You know, pretty prepared. I mean, going into it, we run a lot of steers, and uh, you know, you hear how big the steers are and stuff out there. Well, we bought everybody, we bought every fresh big steer we could find, yeah. and uh, just ran them in, walking fresh, at the uh, Thomas and Max size arena. You know, we had paneled it off, and uh, you know, Blake lived right here, and we had head horses, and he had his head horses, and we just went full contact for months, I guess, before we went to Vegas. So round one, what's that like? What's going through your mind? <laughs> you know, round one, they talk all this stuff about it, and we're, uh, yeah, that's what everybody says, did you get nervous before you ran your first one? And uh, we didn't, really. I got nervous after I ran my first one, I think. But we went in, we moved, we won just enough at Dallas, we moved into 15th, so we went team one, right. you know, and they tell you that they're going to start this deal off, and, uh, you know, they're victory lap the bulldoggers and you're thinking you know you go to a normal rodeo it takes them 10 minutes between you know events you know if they're going to run an act or something well they victory lap the bulldoggers and uh next thing you know they don't even barely open the front gates and they're screaming at us like we're supposed to nod you know so we rush in the box and run our steer and uh we placed the first night we caught our first steer and uh about the time i undally that's about the time i think it hit me, you know, so I don't know what I'd have done if we'd been fifth or sixth out because I'd have probably got nervous when I watched the first one go, but we run our first one and, and got him down, luckily, and uh, ride out, and it kind of hit a guy about then. You know, it hits you when you're right in there for the grand entry. It's kind of like, holy cow, this is this is it. It's, it's Pretty the electric. big, oh, man, that that's the coolest place ever. You know, you can't, you can't match the enthusiasm in there, you know, and it's all, everywhere else you go is, is, you know, fans in the stands, but those are rodeo fans. And I mean, when you make a good run they're, you know, they know it and, and they're hollering before you've even, you know, got the flag. And so that's pretty cool. Uh, it's the coolest place, 
you know, like I said, the coolest atmosphere ever, ever to rope in. And uh, so anyhow, we caught our first one placed in the first round. I think we went fifth in the first round. And then come back the next night, and uh, I guess we would have maybe flipped it and we'd have went further down, but we won the second round. Uh, split it with Travis and Michael Jones. And, uh, you know, uh, even once we got there, you know, until and we caught our first year, it's like, you know, it's still kind of, a little surreal like man this is pretty cool but when we won we won the second round it's finally like, man i think we've you know finally i don't know that we finally made it but finally felt like we had you know well felt like we were willing to be that you know we were we'd earned it to be there yeah that's pretty awesome that had been a pretty fun feeling and had a pretty good finals that year right because yeah we had a real good finals uh you know we obviously uh we didn't have a chance to win the world or anything and that uh, it was kind of a backwards way of doing it but to make it was our only goal. Tommy and Colby made it the same year, so right. we kind of both loaded up, all four of us, and and you know we went four guys to a truck, a lot of the summer, and I don't recommend that. But <laughs> that sounds pretty brutal. Man, we slept on the floor of the trailer, and and uh, you know I mean four guys in a ten foot living quarters trailer, and loaded up and went. I know they had it way worse back in the old days, but uh, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, and. Uh, no, we loaded up, like I said, with that, that was the goal, and uh, Tommy and Kobe never really rodeoed that much again, and I roped with Jimmy a little bit the following year, and uh, he'd gotten married and moved home and kind of wanted to stay home, so right. that was kind of the end of us roping together. Gotcha. Uh, I want to go to the jackpot now, the BFI. <laughs> uh, was that kind of your first big win at the jackpot? You know, it was a whole, it, it was a whole... I had always jackpotted pretty good, and I'd won a lot when I headed, and as I first started healing, I'd won a lot jackpotting, and, and the one thing I didn't do good was catch very fast. And so, for me, uh, I went home and I had to figure out how to amateur rodeo and how to catch, how to set the situations up and throw fast. And I thought that was all I needed to do to make the NFR was figure out how to catch fast. And I went home, set it up, worked on throwing faster, different situations. And, and, and when I came home, that was when I started riding Starbucks. And that made a big, big difference in me. But he, he could run hard, and, and I could get up around steers, and I figured out really how to catch fast. Once I figured out I've made the NFR, all of a sudden I realized the fact that, you know, now, now I've all of a sudden worked on throwing fast and this, that, and the other. And, and I guess right before I made the NFR, but it hits me that, you know, now I got to figure out how to do the other one all over again. And right. so, you know, the, the jackpot is the key. It's, it really is. You can rodeo all you want and you can make decent money, but, you know, you, the jackpotting is the key. And I'd stayed home a little bit there and, and we jackpotted some around here and I had to work on my jackpotting. And that was, that was uh, the one thing I felt like I had missing was the jackpotting. I could throw fast, I could catch fast, but what was always easy for me was to come around there and, and catch, and I'd almost changed my style so much that the come around and catch part wasn't as easy. Yeah. We worked a ton on, on figuring out not only, I, I knew how to catch, catch, and I knew how to catch fast. I didn't know how to ride like I was trying to catch fast, and then still catch. And so how, how to put myself in a good position that if if a throw's not good or available, I can just take another swing and ride my horse another jump or two and until the, the good throw is available. So yeah, the, the BFI was I mean that was you know the 
a huge, huge, huge hit for me. Um, it was kind of at a funny spot where I'd made the finals once um, in 2007. Um, 2008, I cut my thumb off that fall. And I'd, I'd rodeoed with Jimmy that year. I finished with Garrett Tanazi the end of the year and uh, roped with Kevin Daniels that fall to, about him getting in. That was the year, I think, that uh, Luke roped with Jade at the NFR. I think that was their first year for both of them was 2008. Right. And uh, Luke and I had talked about roping. And so I come home and, and everything still, you know, seems like it's going good. Everything's on the uphill path. And I come home and uh, went to Speed, had the match opens over here in Stephenville, and it was leading up to his finals. Well, I had talked to Luke that fall, and uh, I was going to rope, I roped with Luke to start 2009 out. And so I come home and uh, had practice with Luke and everything else. Well, everything, you know. He's living with Chad at Chad's over there, and we'd roped quite a little bit. And I'd been working on my jackpot and been working on everything. And uh, anyhow, cut my thumb off at Stephenville. And so it's like, man, here here we are. I've just got one of the best. Luke and Jade killed him that year, you know. And Luke and I roped a little bit before that. I thought, man, I've got one of the best headers in the world here. And I got my shot, and I've just now I've cut my thumb off, and there's no telling how long it's going to take me to get back. And, uh, you know, we, we worked at it and worked at rehab and everything else. And uh, that, that same uh, year after, after uh, the NFR, the Sunday after, was when Speedy had his big match out there. And uh, Brandon, and Brandon Beers was roping with Jade the following year, and I was roping with Luke. Well, Luke and Jade were just going to rope at the match out there. I would cut my thumb off and hadn't been getting roped much. As we were coming back, I practiced with them a little bit before they went to the NFR with him and Chad, but I really hadn't dallied much. I'd used limber ropes. Brandon had decided he was going to go to uh, the match and rope with Jade, and so Luke called and wanted to know if I wanted to go, and this was a couple weeks before we went, and I didn't really know if I was ready or not. And uh, anyhow, I told him I would. Well, I'm thinking to myself now, you know, I've got one of the best guys in the world. I better right. make sure I'm there. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had been home not really getting rope a whole lot. And uh, Paul Eves and I loaded up, and he was young, young then. And uh, we rode out there. Well, anyhow, as it turned up, uh, Luke and I won it. So we won the speeds match and won 30,000. So right before Luke and I got started, rope and we'd already kind of had a good hit right off the bat and Paul actually him and Dave Key I believe one third so it was a, it was a really good rope and speed he'd had out there so that was probably you know the one that you know kind of right there towards the borderline that made me feel like I needed to stay hooked and then the following year was when we'd won the BFI right that's pretty cool um, and I think you you know one thing that I hear more and more from you is you've been able to win a lot and uh, you talked about it with the cutting and things like that what do you think's helped you uh, win the most is kind of the foundation of what has helped you. I'm always a big fan of you know I think I think if you're you know if if you if you can win it anything I, I believe that you know I say it all the time but winners do win I think uh, I think it's a mindset I think you know you have to be I wouldn't say cocky so much but confident you know and and if you're confident if you understand the situation you're getting yourself into. Um, whether it's a roping or a rodeo, I think you can, 
you're never really su as surprised by the outcome. And so I think you can, you know, for me, it's, it's just mentally about understanding the different situations. You know, the BFI is a terribly long day. It seems like it's the longest day of jackpotting there is, you know, um, and it's the biggest roping of the year. Um, everybody gets all five steers, you know, so they run 500 or 600 teams now, you know, before the short round even starts. And, you know, the night before you can't sleep, you know, it's, you know, you're nervous, you're up at four o'clock in the morning, wonder if it's six o'clock yet and you can start feeding and saddling. And so for me, just knowing how to prepare yourself for something like that. And when you get in a situation, understanding, you know, what's about to come of it. You know, we know the BFI is going to be a long day, but understanding the steers, understanding the situations and stuff like that. And then, and then knowing back, going back to what you're confident in and what you do well. And then once you get to that situation, just doing what you do well and, and not worrying about all the other stuff. All right. Well, let's talk about Starbucks a little bit. Give me, give me Starbucks' story, you know, how, how he, you came <clears throat> about to start riding him and, and what he felt like to you. Starbucks is, uh, his mom is a, is a, a, a mare called Carry Me Starlight that uh, actually won third at the Snaffle Bit Fraternity a long time ago. And uh, when it, Winston, my stepdad, won the fraternity on, on a horse called C.D. Olina. And so we had bred the mare to C.D. Olina. And anyhow, Starbucks was the, kind of the outcome of it. And Winston had started him in, in, in the cutting and started him through uh, the end of his two-year-old year. And I didn't know it, but he'd come to my mom and said, you know, I think this one's going to make a cutter, but I think he would make a better heel horse. And she had, we sat down and talked about it. And she, so anyhow, my mom gave him to me as a, I guess, coming three-year-old or early three-year-old year. And he, he was one that just, you know, from the get-go, he was his, he's great to head on, he's great to heel on. Anything you wanted to do, you know, he's super athletic, but he's got a great mindset. And he was, I mean, he's what I owe everything I've ever won to on, even the things I didn't win on him, because I feel like he, he gave me the opportunity to, you know, understand how to win, figure out how to win. And as little as I knew about healing, he, you know, anything I wanted him to do, he let me do it on him, whether it was throw fast and then come right back on the very next year and following 10 jumps until I knew I could catch, he never even bobbled. And he's been that way, you know, right from the get-go. He's been as easy to train as anything I've ever had. Right. Um, has he won the heel horse of the year multiple times? He won it once. He's won second several times. Second several yeah. times. That's pretty cool. And, and do you think a lot of that is just, he's, I mean, he's obviously really fast. Is he probably one of the fastest heel horses that you rode? Or, I mean, yeah, he's, he's the fastest. You know, he's his, yeah, him and his rock stars, his little brother that I've been riding. Um, those two are the fastest two I've rode. The, the weird thing that they do is they can both really, really run and really, really stop. And I've rode a lot of them that can do that. Right. But their cowiness and their timing with the cattle is, it's impeccable. It's crazy. Starbucks can go from a dead run to if they slow up a little bit, he's just matches stride with them just right off. And, and, you can stay down his rating's great you can stay down and use your feet and kick and, and push and and if the situation changes it seems like 
you know. He, he reads the situations. As soon as you read it, before you can even ask him to do something, he's made that reaction and, and he's made the move. And, and as soon as you ask him, he's just right there ready to go, go with the flow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's been, no, I, everything I've won, that's what I, you know, he's, I owe it to him. That's cool. Um, and then you just won the Lone Star Shootout the other day on his full brother, yep. Rockstar, right? Uh, kind of tell me about the breeding program, you know, what, I, I want to know, like, just for me, what, what do these horses feel like and what do you like about these horses that are coming out of your guys' program? You know, a lot of the foundation of our program, um, both on our stud and, and on Starbucks, uh, both, the, both of them are Gray Starlight mares. Um, a long time ago, my mom had a good relationship with Gray Starlight anyhow, and kind of, so that's kind of what our program had went back to. Um, obviously, with Winston uh, training C.D. Olina and having such a good uh, show career with him, that uh, that's, that was kind of the foundation for our program. A lot of our mares were Gray Starlight mares. Uh, bred to C.D. Olina and with with that kind of a foundation what, what we've had is a lot of horses that made good cutting horses and also a lot of horses that if they didn't they had the size and the willingness to kind of make a different you know to go off into a different uh, avenue um, for me still that's what I think that you know all horses not everyone's going to be a head horse or not everyone's going to be a heel horse but if they have the size and the athleticism that you can figure out whether, you know, if this one's not going to make a heel horse, but he's going to make a really nice barrel horse, even if you breed him to be a heel horse, that's still a successful, right. you know, horse, you know, breeding if, if they'll go on and, and be successful at something. And so, you know, for a lot of ours, we start them all as cutters. That's obviously the initial goal. A lot of them, uh, if, if they don't look like they're panning out in the cutting, we, uh, if, if they, you know, most of mine were out of a couple brood, two different broodmares, so if they weren't going to make it in the cutting, I tried to get my hands on them as quick as I could. Um, but if not, a lot of them went on to to the cow horse. You know, would be kind of if they weren't quite what they thought was going to pan as a cutting as a, as a early two year old, they would they would start them as a cow horse. Right. Man, that's pretty cool, and it's really fun to see. You know, as we filmed, the I mean, there's so much talent. It just seems like. The, the horses are different as far as that you know you have some that are a little more docile than others but they all have just a ton of talent and it just seems like they all can really run and stop and just like you said with starbucks it seems like they can run and, and are pretty ready too as mm -hmm. far as they can just react to a cow so well yeah you know you, you want them obviously run is big um and uh stop is good but you know, being able to know where they're at in the run and in relation to the cow, and if if you spend all your time trying to put them in a certain spot, when you get there, you're not not ready to rope. And when when you can get them that are smart and willing to learn, I mean, that's if you're if you're going to put the time into it, you might as well put the time into a good one. Um, it takes just as long to or less time probably to train a good one than it right. does a one that doesn't want to be very 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 helpful i guess and so you know that's the biggest thing is making sure you start with something that the end result is going to be there right that's pretty cool well i want to go back to the mental game uh, you know you're at the bfi i think that that's probably <laughs> one of the biggest scenarios uh what call that for you at that we were high call high 
Yeah. And the thing about it, when you're high teamer over there at the Feist, you're you're high teamer for a long time. <laughs> I mean, even if you're one of the last teams, it's still 30 minutes before you run that steer, which yeah. is not very typical at a jackpot. <laughs> right. And uh, how do you how did you kind of handle that moment? Oh, I mean, you know, I I don't know that I don't know that nervous. I I don't think I ever tend to get nervous so much as I get excited and ready to hurry up and run them. Um, you know, kind of amped up, I guess. In the bigger situations, it seems for me that uh, I have an easier time to focus and kind of, you know, I get excited and ready to ready to go. Um, it's just, you know, high, to me, pe some people say they hate being high call, and it's like, man, I would rather have that advantage than I had. You know, they say it's easier to be third high call. It's never easier to be third high call. When you're high call, they tell you exactly how fast you have to be, and you just have to go do it. So for me, in that kind of situation, if they tell you you got to be eight. You know, they tell you what you've got to do. You go be eight flat and you win the BFI. Um, so I, I just think, like I said, the mental deal, just understand, you know, what's going on. And like I said, everybody gets nervous. Everybody's screwed up and nobody's missed more for good money than, than I have. Um, you know, but you put yourself in that position and, and you know, do what, you've, do what you've done to get yourself there. The last one's the same as the first five. And right. so you know, come around, take a good shot. And, and I just think, like I said, I, I think mentally, yes, that uh, there's all kinds of things you can do to amp yourself up. But when you run one in the short round like that, if there's two or three things that you've been really wanting to do all day, whether that's, you know, get your width, get your swing going, you know, and, and use your feet through the corner, whatever it is, then just come to, you know, run your high teamer and think, you know, but don't think about don't miss. I mean, as soon as you start thinking, man, don't get a leg right here, then you're going to, get a leg right there and so I just think knowing what you've done good throughout the day to get yourself there and then executing right focus on the, the process yeah focus on the process and I mean I'm not uh, I, I think as much mentally as anything you have to be real with yourself um, I, for me we, you know we talked a little I didn't jackpot that good I knew that so for me to uh, to win the VFI you know it and in, in, at one point in time, I wasn't prepared enough to win the BFI. And I went home and worked on position and swing and figuring out Rich was great about it. You know, I mean, he won eight world championships. He took, he, you know, he, he just made sure, you know, Rich can throw as fast as anybody. And, and he came around and, and he made sure and took good, good smart throws, won the BFI a couple of times. I mean, they won everything. Yeah. And Rich did a great job. And so I patterned myself after that a little bit and watch the position that he rides and he sits so square and, and comes through there and his angles are perfect come before he enters the corner. And once he enters the corner, he's able to just come around there and make sure when he sees his throw that he's able to take it. And and for me, that's it's the same whether, like I said, whether you're high call at the rodeo or high call at the jackpot, um, whether it's a VFI or a two for 10 down here, you know, putting yourself in that position and, and you get more comfortable in that position. Obviously, everybody gets you know excited about running the last one. And, and if when you run one for you know 50 bucks, you're not as excited as when you run one for 70 grand. But you know, n nonetheless, you still get those butterflies a little bit. And, and for for people that 
say they get nervous in the short rounds, it's like well, rope better throughout the day. Get in, get in more short rounds. The more often you can run those steers, the more comfortable you'll be in that situation. Right, absolutely. Well, then, uh, like the other day at the Lone Star Shootout, you know, you're you're a complete opposite rope of almost right. every rope, and it's, yeah. it's set up a lot like the George Strait. But the big difference I seen was headers could get a better start here, mm -hmm. and so it made the roping where it felt like the guys were throwing fast consistently. And the straight, you didn't quite see that many guys just getting good rolls and mm -hmm. opportunities. Um, with that, you know, kind of take me through that last that last run and that setup of that rope. And uh, I, I mean, before I have you answer the question, one thing that we talked about the other day that I thought was so interesting is, you know, the first in this rope and paid essentially 100000 with the prizes. And second paid... 20 or 30 yeah 30. 21 maybe yeah so you talk about your mentality of trying to go for first when you have a chance of that can you kind of explain that to me you know if 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 you rope for a living you never want to over you never want to screw up too often and if you're at, the, at a rope and then it pays 10,000 for first and 8,000 for second uh you know you want to make sure if you're up for a living that you get as much money out of the deal as you can and you don't want to overtake shots um obviously with something like that it's not necessarily top loaded but they give a great prize you know the coolest prize you could win they give a trailer for first and so in that kind of a situation um i'm a big fan of of going for first um i don't think you take stupid risks or uh, don't uh, take a dumb throw right there, but if the throw's available, I, I feel like it's one, you know, a person needs to take right there. And if you safety up in that situation and win second, and win twenty grand, it's awesome, you know. Um, but if you're if you're in a spot right there in the top few callbacks, and have a chance to win first, man, it it you know, it makes it where you want a whole lot more. You know, we want a thirty grand, and then we want to. Thirty-seven, forty thousand dollar trailer, something like that, you know. So, the difference if you put the money on it, if we won seventy, you know, it dropped from seventy to to twenty, and then the rope and paid really, you know, it wasn't loaded by any means. There, it's, it paid really good throughout. And for us, if 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 we drop all the way down to third, if we just safety up and and go run one down there, if you rope for a living and you're going to be in that spot a lot, I'm a fan of, you know, if at the George Strait, say before. Synogeny last year, he called me before the last one, you know, and it's like, you, you know, if a guy tries to win that thing, if, if you have four chances at it and you hook him once, that's the same as winning second three times, you know. Right. Uh, and so for me, if you have a chance and you have that opportunity, you know, try to win it. And, and if you win it twice, you know, you're double what you would have won if you just safetyed up and, and ran him down. Now, there's also times that... Uh, that's not the proper play, you know. If um, we ran one at the U.S. Finals a couple of years ago, Sinigini, I was high callback at the U.S. Finals. I went second, I won third, I won fourth, and I never win it. Right. And it, and and we ran one back off over there, and Brady Norman and uh, Blake Hughes were third high call and had a nice steer, and they made a good run. Brady got him in the switch, running straight, you know, running down the arena. Jade and them came back, and actually, whenever we rode, Jade was second. Uh, call he roped and uh, I thought he took the lead you know I thought we had a little big Brady and them were fast and Synogenia are a high call and we had a yellow and white steer we knew and he'd run off to the left over there kind of throughout the day 
and uh, Brady and them were five, Clay and Jade was six, so we were thinking the same thing. If, if we can knock him down, make a decent run, we can still win. I thought we still had a chance to win it. We didn't have to go smooth at him. Right when he roped, he'd moved over, and I either had to try him on to win it or make sure I caught to win second. Anyhow, I waited, he switched out, and I healed him the second jump, thinking the same thing. It's a decent drop from first to second, but not substantial. And uh, anyhow, I ended up winning third. Brady and them ended up winning it that year. And uh, one third, you know, but that's the same thing. We left there. I was, you know, not plum happy about it. Whenever you're high call, you expect to win first. But if, like I said, if you rope for a living, that was the one thing I had to figure out that that was still the smart smarter thing to do I feel like but I would sure like to have tried him on and right. you know tried to win it well and, and this is one thing I've been trying really hard to communicate is the roping for a living and understanding it and you know being down here in Stephenville I, I always say Stephenville Weatherford all, all this area is if you want to rope for a living you need to be down here and uh, and just because of the jackpotting and like the stuff that Austin does and Cole Davidson's mm -hmm. having some jackpots and can you just kind of explain to me about how you do learn how to rope for a living and a lot of the jackpots that are around here well you get to kind of hold you you figure out how to hold your money together and what it takes you know you get to you figure out real quick before you leave home if you live around here what uh, whether you're how, how good you are and what you need to work on um, you know, if, if you live up north or, or anywhere else, you might drive five hours to, a, you know, a 20-team jackpot or, you know, 30-team jackpot. And here they have them three days a week. You know, you can go to a 30-team, you know, jackpot. That's a small one. And, uh, you know, they, then they have the World Series and, and the, you know, the rest of the other ropings, the VIPs and everything. And, they, you know, so there's so much roping going on around here that I think a person can get a little bit figured out as far as you know what you need to work on where you're at horsemanship horsepower wise i guess roping wise and uh, it's a good spot to get discovered too you know i mean if if the one thing everybody says is they just wish they had that shot well i promise the guys that rope good when they're looking for partners or horses or anything else the guys that rope for a living and and everything else they, they pay attention to things like that you know and some if some young kid spends about four back in a row all of a sudden you figure out what his name is you know and you you, you pay attention to it and and there is a, there's a lot of young headers that have come up good and, and same thing you know who they are a little bit and you watch them rope and then once they you know it, it's a good spot that once they start figuring it out that you know it you get a, the opportunity you know whether it's somebody's out of town and you get a chance to rope with you know jade or junior or patrick or whoever it is they're all here so if you're here you get that opportunity and if you're not you, you know it's an opportunity you might not get Right. Well, and I was just thinking about this really jumped into my mind. Uh, a couple of years ago when Zach Small and Wesley Thorpe made the finals, mm -hmm. I remember that winter, Zach was heading for Jake Long at some jackpots. Like he, yeah. he had guys that were, I mean, top-end guys that he was jackpotting with sometimes mm -hmm. when just when they needed a run. And then everyone finds out six, eight months later after they went Yeah, this the guy's BFI, pretty good. He ropes pretty good, but for he'd been roping good for Well, I think that's, yeah, I think that's part of... Uh, you know what goes to if you get to hang out down here and you get to stay around with whoever you know if, if you're at jake long's house or whoever and zach's staying down there well then when he needs a partner a little roping over here it's easy you know it's an easy think heck jake needs a partner you know or we'll rope with jake and uh it, that that kind of goes hand in hand with 
you know, kind of with being around this area, you know, when you're when you're gone, it's hard to if if your partner lives, you know, if both you and your partner live away, it's not it doesn't seem as bad, but if uh, you know, down here I've been roping with Brock. Well, he's been getting to stay down here quite a little bit. But for me, I rope with Lane's second partners. Well, it's been it's been great. Lane and I have jackpotted really good together. And same thing. He was a kid that, you know, he called and called and called and finally, you know, first jackpot I show up and rope with him out, it's Lane has me, Patrick, and Colin. And I thought, man, he must have blown their phones up just this much too. But he really did, you know, and we had all watched him rope and he would rope with whoever and he did a great job. And he has lived here and he goes to the jackpots and has figured out, I mean, how to head good and he's headed great, barely missed making the finals last year, you know, and, but he's worked at it a ton, a ton. And uh, for me, having my second partner live here, if Brock's gone a little bit i've at least got a jump start on having one partner but i'm in the same thing right. if brock's gone i'm always looking for a second partner around here a lot. but that's kind of where lane and i started you know we he'd he'd ask and and uh, you know we'd rope it a little rope in here and a little rope in there and just being in this area you know if if he hadn't lived around here or something it wouldn't be we wouldn't have had the opportunity to rope it some little ropes we roped little ropes and did good and then from there on that's kind of where we started roping at the bigger opens and have done good at them too so right well you know one thing that i think is cool too is you talk about the other day you're roping over here with chase you know he's been staying at the house and and you said how hard he works at it and mm -hmm. how iron sharpens iron but you kind of tell me about your practice now and how you and Chase kind of feed off of each other and just what that's like for you now. Yeah, uh, Chase came down here, Tryon, Chase Tryon came down here and, and uh, when he came down this, he he always stays at Clay's house. And uh, when he came down this winter, he called and asked if he could stay over here for a week or so and uh, just kind of rope with us and, and kind of see what's going on. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd stayed here and, uh, you know, I just said, man, is and he's been great you know in in the arena every day um like you said kind of iron sharpens iron but he he's been able to you know we've worked on his rope and he we've worked on my rope and it's you know you don't get in the same old circle out there every day just running steers and uh, you know it's been fun to kind of go head to head with him every day and work on a little bit you know we've been working on horses and different all kinds of different things but it kind of keeps it fresh and keeps you know it uh, entertaining and kind of keeps learning fun. Right, well, and I think a lot of people when they practice, it's pretty easy to get real comfortable with their practice. And if mm -hmm. you've got a, a guy like that, I mean, he, he's made the finals a couple of times, but he's, I mean, he probably hasn't won as much as he wanted to or made the finals the last few years, and he's he's hungry, you know? Yeah, he's worked super hard at it this winter, and I mean, it's paid off, you know, his, uh, he's been roping great. And so, uh, yeah, his roping's been good. Uh, you know, he's, we've worked a lot. Uh, you know, that was kind of one of the one things he was wanting to work on when he came down here was horsemanship and a few things we thought to improve upon what he had. Uh, he bought a new horse the other day from a friend of mine, from Garrett, who I rode with all through high school, and uh, man, it's a great horse. And uh, he's he took him last week and went good on him at the Ropens and was 3-9 on him at Nacogdoches the other day, you know. And, and so, you know, it's exciting for me, you know, to kind of see uh, him doing so good on a, on a on his new horse and stuff that he's worked at a lot uh, position-wise and swing-wise and, you know, and a lot of the things that, uh, you know, that it's not necessarily just stuff that I've told him, but stuff that, you know, he's heard from everybody around here and been working on different things. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So, 
If you could uh, give advice to a young kid, uh, someone that's wanting to go up through the levels and, and become a professional team helper, what would you kind of tell them and, and help them with? You know, just, I mean, get get to the spot where you can, you know, improve the most, whether that's, it's, it's I mean, I'm not saying that everybody has to live around here, but if it's to a spot where roping is so competitive, it's hard to live in a spot where you rope six months out of the year. Um, I think used to a lot of people seem like they did. Now a lot of people either live in Arizona or, you know, in the wintertime, if they live up north or people that live here full time, um, you know, that surround yourself with people that have been there and done that and uh, sort of, uh, you know, find a, somebody that style fits yours. Um, personality fits yours or whatever and uh, somebody that's successful and uh, you know kind of use them as a mentor I guess you know and whether that's just asking or uh, you know whether it's watching how they you know obviously Clay Cooper's everybody's hero I don't think there's a single healer out there that wouldn't give that you know I think Clay's everybody's idol and uh, you know just watching you know for me watching the way that you know, uh, he just handles himself. He never looks nervous. I don't know whether he is inside or not, you know, but uh, he's always professional. You know, he, he, you know, there's no, he doesn't throw fits in the arena. He doesn't do that. And that's the one thing, you know, that I've always tried. Obviously, I, I, I get mad if you miss, you know, but, you know, there's things like that. And, and when you're professional and stuff and handle your business very well, um, you know, you'll get the right opportunities, work at it, get to the right spot. And, uh, you know, just, I'm a big believer. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And, you know, don't uh, run around and you tell everybody you're going to rope at their open and then start cutting people here and there over little ropings and stuff like that. And just, you know, if, if you get, if you put yourself in the right spot and, and uh, you'll get the right opportunity and uh, go from there. Right. And that's a pretty good answer, I think. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a lot of failure. I mean, I feel like that's that's probably the biggest thing with roping is there's a lot of losing. But it seems to me that uh, I, I like to know the answer to this question from different guys. But what is one of the biggest failures you've had at the time that ended up being one of the positive, one of the biggest positive impacts on your career? Oh man, I got plenty. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, right off the bat, that's what I said. I mean. Everything. I think every everybody's going to fail. We're in a we're in a sport where you know if if you go to the roping and they get a hundred teams, they might pay six monies, uh, and so you know ninety six of the or ninety four of the teams, I guess, would depend on what they pay. Um, you know, are losers that day per se, um, and I think you just have to understand what you're doing and what you did well, you know, as you start out roping and, and for any level of a roper, when you start out roping, you kind of hit a spot and it's like, man, you know, I caught two feet today. That's the coolest thing ever right. to, you know, I caught two feet three day, three times today to, you know, I roped four by two feet and legged the rest of them and I didn't miss a single steer, you know, to the spot where as it builds up and if you go to the roping, and don't win and and you do a good job and you rope two feet on every steer that you run and you don't screw things up and and you, you know everything goes good and you don't win that's going to happen and you have to go home while you didn't win any money and 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 actually didn't place you went home and you did everything you could have done to win and i think you have to 
account that as you know chalk that up as a as a good day, whereas uh, in in baseball basketball, fifty percent of the people win every single time. Now you can be on a terrible team. When you're on a terrible team, that doesn't you know they're going to lose obviously more often. But every time you step on the court, you got a fifty fifty chance of winning. And in team roping, that's just not the case. As as you start jackpotting the nice thing is you can always go home and work on stuff and you get your confidence right back up the hard thing is for a lot of people and a lot of young people i think is when when you take off rodeoing in the summer you don't get to practice very much you know when we're here i go from roping you know 60 80 a day to gone and you know with a couple good horses you exercise them every day and you do things like that but you know you don't get to just rope every day a lot of times you pull in somewhere late you know and and uh put them up and get them rope the next morning and drive on to somewhere else and there's not as much time. So I think that's a little bit where the mental stuff comes back into it. But the losing, I mean, it's always hard. Um, I've, you know, we've missed steers. Everybody's missed steers, missed finals, missed everything that, that you never thought you would. And you just have to kind of swallow it and go back in there. And, and it, it's got to make you tougher. And it's got to make you, you have to take, if, if you miss, you have to understand and be real with yourself. You know, if, if everything felt good, sometimes you just flat miss, you know, and if, if, if you can't figure out what you needed to do different on one particular steer, you just have to, you know, just throw it out and go to the next one. Yeah. And if, if, uh, if, if you're doing a bad job of riding your horse and, and I think honestly, every time if, if you miss, you need to backtrack all the way back to the box. And it's like finding a busted water line, you know, start where the leak is and start digging your way back. And so if you miss, start looking back. If, you, if you've rope a leg or lost a leg or anything, you know, look back to, yes, you didn't hold your slack too long, but maybe it was because you were in a bad position that you had to hold your slack longer. Or maybe you were in a bad position because you left the box too late or, you know, you pulled on your horse leaving the box. And so I think understanding why you failed and figuring out how not to do that again helps you go into the next run with uh, a you know a higher chance of success knowing what you need to be focused on in the next run and then focus on what you do well but I, I'm a believer in you you know be real with yourself understand what you don't do well and go work on it in the practice pen and work on that really hard and then when you understand what you do do well and when you go to the rope and do what you do do well and don't focus on what you don't do well and what you don't do well will improve over time. Right. I think that's perfect. So last thing I was going to have you talk about is you, you spoke on managing your finances mm -hmm. and getting better at that. Can you kind of go into that with a little more detail? You know, I, I think as far as managing anything, you know, uh, you know, just, just, taking care of stuff well, you know, uh, whether it's managing your finances, as being a kid, you know, as we, as you start growing up, it's, it's, you see, sometimes you see kids and, you know, they look like they're, you know, they don't have any rubber on their horn. They don't have any boots on their horse. They don't have this, that, and the other. It's all fine. But when you start to want to do it professionally or be prepared to do it professionally somewhere down the line, whether it's your finances and everything else is, is, I'm, I don't guess not just saying being lazy about doing it, but you know that comes first. You know your horses at, at, in the morning they need fed. You know the pens need cleaned and things like that. And I really think that rolls right into your finances and stuff like that, where 
understanding what you're doing and, and, and being smart with it and being smart with your investments, you know, because when, as, as when you rope, obviously there's highs and lows. There's years where you have really, really good and you have uh, years that aren't as good. And I think that figuring out whether it's somebody that's been there and done that, you know, what to buy, what not to buy, um, to help hold your funds together. And growing up, uh, as you grow up and get older, figuring out the things that you can do. You know, when you're 18, we were 18 years old, had a truck that we didn't want enough. I'd paid a truck off and a trailer off. We really didn't have any bills, but uh, I, we didn't really know what was going on either. And I think that, uh, you know, that's the one thing about making smart choices with your money, not going to the roping. And, you know, if, if you've only got limited amount, pick and choose where you go. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about here or anywhere, I think, kind of for that say, you can go and uh, amateur rodeo and, and go for, go to three rodeos for 350, 60 bucks a week, you know, and fuel's not as much and stuff and figure out how to win. And, and I, I believe you need to figure out how to win before you just bail to it. And, uh, you know, not going to the jackpots and entering a thousand dollars worth, you know, figuring out that uh, if we can go put up $300 and win $1,200, that's much better than putting up, you know, $1,000 and winning $1,300 right. type of a deal and figuring out, uh, you know, just paying a good attention to financing. I think that's the one thing that, uh, you know, not, you know, handling your money well and, and uh, making smart choices, uh, whether that's uh, buying horses, buying, you know, saddles, trailers, whatever you can do that uh, helps hold your money together because there's going to be a time where, you know, you're back in, in a slump a little bit or don't have as good of a year that uh, all that's going to come back full circle. Right. All right. I think that, that covers it. I mean, that was, is there anything you want to add? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, the one, the one thing is, uh, you know, I tell everybody that if, if, if roping's what you want to do, that it is something you got to take serious and uh, you know understand and figure out a good plan I think a, a good plan for uh, any form of business and it is a business you know if you wrote for a living um, it is a business and needing to know what uh, all that takes as far as you know practice and 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 finances and horse wise and I think just you know if you want to do it I think you know I encourage everybody out there to do it this was my dream forever um, was to be able to rope for a living and uh, you know it's uh, a roundabout way of figuring out what all it takes and uh, a bunch of different ways of figuring out how to make ends meet but you know figuring out uh, what it takes and and executing and going and doing it right well that's honestly that's probably been one of my my biggest goals with X Factor is really trying to put it out there like how how you'll say it and then different guys of what it takes to rope for a living and and I think one thing I take away from it a lot is, and you said it multiple times, is don't be afraid to ask. You know, don't be afraid to ask how you do things. I mean, I'm sure if you're somewhere at a rodeo or a jackpot and a kid asks, hey, you know, what would you do here? Mm -hmm. You could get some good advice. You know, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we left uh, the Smarty Young Pro deal this last week over there. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing is, is nobody, it, it, it doesn't matter who it is. Well, if you're a young kid and you're really working hard enough to figure it out, everybody will spend time with, with helping you. You know, if, if you want to come over and, and, and if it's somebody that wants to come over and, and, and says they want to do it 
and they actually want to put the effort into it, and you can tell they put the effort into it. I love helping them, you know, and I think every everybody's that, you know, not most everybody's that way, and it's it's hard to want to put the effort in when when somebody says, you know, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, but they don't really put the effort in, right. and uh, you know, when somebody's putting the effort in, that's when it really, you know, pays dividends, and everybody really wants to. Uh, like you said, ask questions, ask anything. I mean, knowledge and, and understanding is power and, and understanding what it's going to take. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's, the more we can know, the better off we are. Uh, you guys are great, like you said, with X Factor and stuff, because now there's so much, you know, access to more, to knowledge versus when I was a rookie, you know, you didn't really know a whole heck of a lot. Um, you kind of knew what you read and, uh, and heard, but now, I mean, between magazines and articles, and uh, I mean, you can click on it. If you want to see Jade heal a couple steers, you can go find it anywhere. You know, right now, go on your guys' deal, and you can find access to uh, how to ride your horse, how to do, you know, how to swing your rope, how to do anything, and you don't have to just kind of go the hard knocks ways around it. But uh, beyond that, you know, go to schools, go. The, the more you can understand and learn about it, whether not just roping for a living, um, you know, now it's to the point where, you know, you can you can win just as much at the jackpots as you can roping for a living if you have a couple big hits. Um, you know, it's it's to the spot where even if you own a business, you know, figuring out a couple, you know, little bit here and there, if you go to a couple schools a year or a couple lessons, I mean, the more you can know, the more prepared you'll be when you get in that situation uh, for a big money situation. So, and I mean, everybody gets proud. I had Eric Alvarado, he won the 10 out there maybe, 180,000. Yeah. He come from our school last fall. Chase and I helped him with his healing and stuff. And so him and his old Apple, Apple, uh, Appaloosa, yeah, old yeah. stud muffin. So, no, it was pretty fun. I mean, that was exciting for us, you know, too. But same thing millions of questions you know what i mean and he was going out there and, and wanted to know he never been you know wants to know more about it this that and the other and i mean you know so whether you're going to the bfi for the first time find somebody that's been there you know and figure out a little bit about what it is and you know what it takes throughout the day um you know to be prepared me used to you get up early you don't do anything you never pay any attention don't eat for me it's like one of those days Courtney's found like, you know, you better, you got to eat something. So eating throughout the day, you know, it's right. drinking water and doing stuff like, it's hot, you know, sometimes out there. And, you know, so it's a, such a long day, you feel drained when it's over with. And just a few things like that, you know, that people know that have been there and experienced it. You know, it's, if your horse is having issues, find somebody that knows what's going on. They've probably more than likely had an issue of the same sort and know how to fi fix it. I think that's pretty good. Just trying to set up a business model and, and constantly grow and, and learn and, and take in information is is a huge thing because it's, it's just like yourself, you know, you're constantly you're still working on your roping and, and it's just a process. No, it is a process and like I said, when, when you decide to take it from one one uh, step to the next, like I said, we, we I stayed home and rode tons of outside horses and then got on my horses last every day and uh, tried to get a practice in what I thought was practice, you know, was six or eight steers on each of my two good ones. And I was mentally drained, you know, by the time I did that. And uh, when Brock and I started roping, uh, the year we made the finals in 02, and I had finally said, you know, if, if I look up and everybody that's better than me, you know, 
is roping and practicing for themselves all day, I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna figure out. And so I kind of cut back on what we had outside horse-wise and uh, had some young horses of my own, some colts and stuff. And uh, that I kind of modeled my, I had to model my practice and, and to help my roping, which is I'd always, my practice had always been a model that uh, helped my horses rope, my horses get better. And I actually had to model it full circle and and uh, had said, you know, we're going to figure out if this deal works and where we can go from here and uh, put 150% into it and see just exactly how good we could get right. and otherwise figure out something else to do. Yeah.